Welcome everybody back to Special Education Information Podcast put on by Touching Success. My name is Joy. The bird you hear back there, his name is Sterling. He likes to participate in all conversations, whether it's the telephone or the microphone. Today I want to go over some history. I know, I know, history. Some people love it. A lot of people hate it. I think it's needed. And this is especially interesting because it applies to you. It is the history of special education and how IDEA, Individual Education Act, came into play in our students' and children's lives. I've gathered a lot of the information from the notes on rightslaw.com. Rights Law is W-R-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-W dot com. I like this website for a lot of information, but I do put a caveat in there that it went from being a fairly neutral website where people from all different angles of special education could go and get information and get help and advice. And now I've noticed over the last few years, they've kind of almost gone anti-school, anti-teacher, and mostly just parents. So take what you get there with a grain of salt, but it is a good website for tracking down lots of different kinds of special education information. That being said, I really liked what they wrote on the history of special education law in the United States. I'm not going to read this whole thing. If you want to, then please go for it, because the more you know, the better advocate you can be for your student and your child. Some of the things I talk about will be from my own personal knowledge, from my education, so it's not all from there. So let's get going. So special education started off in a way with special schools. And a lot of times that meant a special school for the deaf. And remember, they used to call people who are deaf, deaf and dumb, when we know that's perfectly not true. They had school for the blind. They have school for people who were called mental retarded at the time. And this was all happening in the 19th century and it increased more and more over the 20th century. And these were typically schools that the kids would go to and they would just live there. I'm not even sure if any of them got to go home once they started the school year up or how that works. I should probably look into it. But I do know that the schools had dorms and the kids would stay in there. Louis Braille, for example, the inventor of Braille, he stayed and lived in his school for the blind in France and the place was very poorly kept. He ended up dying because the moisture in the walls ended up giving him lung sickness and that finally caught up with him and he never even saw the beauty that his creation brought to the world of the blind. Programs for children with learning disabilities or what they referred to as brain injuries became more commonplace in the 1940s. A lot of what special education was for special needs students actually was more of we'd call voc rehab in a sense, but their idea was to keep these at-risk children from causing trouble and also help them be productive members of society, which in a lot of ways that hasn't changed. In a lot of ways with a lot of our different programs, we do teach them rehab kinds of skills and working kind of skills to kind of help them contribute to society and to keep them from being completely dependent upon other people in order to do what they want to do. The problem was is that even if a kid was typically 
functioning cognitively, they would still end up having to go through these programs because they had a physical disability. So we know that that isn't the way we approach things now. We better not be anyway. Kids who have physical disabilities and are cognitively able to keep up with their peers should be in the classroom with their peers. Maybe they need an aid to help them take notes or a computer to help them take notes, but we shouldn't see kids with cognitively average functioning in a classroom of moderate to severely disabled children. I'm sure it still happens, but boy, I hope I don't ever have to see that. And if I do, I'll be the first one to jump in there and say something. You better believe it. Anyway, so these programs for both the deaf, the blind, and the different other disabilities were considered to be fairly rare. The access to them was very difficult to get, and there were just not very many of them. At least starting in 1940, there was a start to move towards what we now think of as special education. So that's the start. It says by 1890, hundreds of thousands of children were learning carpentry, metalwork, sewing, cooking, and drawing in manual classes. Children were taught social values and they were taught how to respect each other and other moral trainings. And then came along a law and it never occurred to me that this law would apply towards special needs kids. It just didn't. It just didn't. It always been taught it from only one angle. And that's Brown versus the Board of Education. And most of us know that as allowing some people who were black to be able to come to school with those who were white. But it wasn't just that. It was also so that special needs children could also go to school with kids who were typically developing and they couldn't be tossed out because of their disabilities. So I never knew that about that particular piece of law. And how cool is that? It makes it even a more cool law than it really was a cool law. And yay for parents who got in there with their special needs children and they fought against exclusion and they fought against segregation to get their disabled children into typical developing schools. So go Go parents, you have power, you have it. And in 1965, the ESEA was enacted by Congress. The ESEA is Elementary and Secondary Education Act. It addresses inequality of underprivileged students in education. Then in 1966, an amendment was granted for grant programs to help states in the initiation, expansion, and improvement for education for disabled children because the schools were complaining that it was too expensive to educate the children within the mainstream environment. Then in 1970, Congress enacted the Education of the Handicapped Act which encourages states to develop education programs for individuals with disabilities. So there we go, another step forward in helping kids to progress all the way up to their full potential. Thank you to all those in the past who helped to enact that law. But here's the downside of that one. Neither of the two programs from the 1970 and the 1965 included specific mandates on how to use the funding and there was no improvement shown as a result of that. 
Then in the 1970s, two cases came along through the court system. The first one was Pennsylvania for retarded children versus the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And this is shortened down into PARC or P-A-R-C. And then the other one was Mills versus the Board of Education of the District of Columbia. Now PARC dealt with the exclusion of children with mental retardation from public schools. The settlement ended up that placement must include the parents' decision. Do they agree with the children being placed elsewhere or not? And then if the parents disagree, well, what do they do? Well, Park established a way to resolve those disputes. So that was a healthy start towards parents getting a little bit more control over their child's education if they have a disability. The second one, Mills, had to do with the problem that these children with disabilities, were they call them exceptional children, were being suspended, expelled, and ex- being very excluded. And they also turned around and said, well, it's because it's the high cost of educating them. So just out of the blue, you're suspended. Bye-bye. Go away. We don't want you here. That was the attitude back then, and that is not acceptable. And I don't really see that so much anymore. Not true. I worked with a school once a while ago, a long while ago, that actually told me they didn't want one of my students in their class or in their school, actually, because of the kid's disability. That left me with my jaw hanging open. I didn't think I'd ever hear that in my life. So, no, it does still happen, but it shouldn't. Well, after the Park and Mills court cases, the government, the court system came back and They were looking at this and let's look into it and research into what the problem was. And they found that of all the different exceptional children out there, only 3.9 million were receiving appropriate education. And it seems like a lot, but 1.75 million got nothing at all. No services, nada. I mean, it was really sad. And then 2.5 million the services they got were very inappropriate and did not work out at all. So can you imagine back then in 1972, and maybe you can, maybe you have a child who's disabled and you were dealing with this situation back in 1972. The frustration that you must have had trying to get an appropriate education for your child must have had you pulling your hair out And how much better is it now? And yes, there are still troubles now. And yes, we still have problems. Like I said, that person who said, oh, I don't want your student in the school because of this disability they have. So it does happen. It does exist. But there's recourse now. And it's expensive. And schools don't like fighting it. This is a quote off of Rights Law's website. And they are quoting Congress. The investigation so moved members of Congress that they wrote, The long-range implications of these statistics are that public agencies and taxpayers will spend billions of dollars over the lifetime of these individuals to maintain such a person as dependent and in minimally acceptable lifestyle. With proper education services, many would be able to become productive citizens, contributing to society instead of being forced to remain burdens. Others, through such services, would increase their independence, thus reducing their dependence on society. There is no pride in being forced to receive economic assistance. 
Not only does this have negative effects upon the handicapped person, but it has far-reaching effects for such person's family. Providing educational services will ensure against persons needlessly being forced into institutional settings. One need only look at public residential institutions to find thousands of persons whose families are no longer able to care for them and who themselves have received no educational services. Billions of dollars are spent each year to maintain persons in these subhuman conditions. Parents of handicapped children are all too frequently unable to advocate the rights of their children because they have been erroneously led to believe that their children will not be able to be lead a meaningful lives. It should not be necessary for parents through the country throughout the country to continue utilizing the courts to assure themselves of a remedy. A bit of a long quote, but I think it says it all. Let's teach our students, let's teach all students, give them skills that they can use and they'll be less dependent upon society as a whole and more independent and have better self-esteem. They might even be able to contribute to funds that their families need to be able to support the entire family. Who knows? There's so much. And we tend to classify, I think a lot of people do, everybody as one type of disability or another. They don't see the spectrum that those of us who work with children with disabilities and who have children who have disabilities really know and recognize the limits and the soaring potential that these kids have to just blossom with the right kind of support. It's awesome. It has been a great pleasure as I've gone through teaching and seeing my students over time really take flight. That's basically the best way I can put it. They took flight and it makes me smile inside and makes me know that all that hard work during that time of my life was definitely worth it. Anyway, back to the history of special education as I rambled off point as I think most history teachers tend to do that. The next big thing that happened for special ed happened in 1975 with the passage of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act. And it passed and this was fantastic. It included procedural safeguards, which we've talked about briefly. Uh, it provided for the education and it also for due process of law. So the children had access to a way to go after districts when they were not getting their needs completely met. Well, I should say the parents were feeling that way. And procedural safeguards are put into place and is very sanctified for school districts in the special ed department. You have a whole process to make sure procedural safeguards are put into place as you go through an IEP or a triannual. And so all of that continue to develop and a little loss here, bigger laws there, until we got to what we have now, which is IDEA 2004, Individual Education Act of 2004, is the current special education law that special ed teachers and school districts and all federal related government situations have to follow. So that's what you want to remember is IDEA 2004. That's what the law is. That's what we have to follow. And that, my friends, is the down and dirty version of the history of special education law, 
Obviously, a lot went on between 1975 and 2004. And if you're interested, you can find books on it on the internet. You can go to the rightslaw.com. You can just, just do a search on Google and you can find a lot of information about more how special education history went about. It is interesting. You have to admit at least a little bit because it's due to those laws and those lawsuits and those people who went after the people with the lawsuits that our kids are now mainstreamed and participating with their peers. And if the mainstreaming situation isn't working, there are levels that we can go to to make sure those kids are getting what they need for their education. And that's what matters. It's just people need to be educated and that includes our students as best as we can do. And that is that. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. My email is emailjoy at touchingsuccess.education. The whole word, education. So emailjoy at touchingsuccess.education. All right. Have a great and wonderful day and evening and everything in your life, I hope, is going smoothly as possible. Mm-hmm.